0: In today's episode of Trek and Time, we're going to talk about being Kurt in court. That's right. We're talking about Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 1. No, that's not right. (laughs) You haven't updated everything in the notes. (laughs) In this episode of Trek and Time, we're going to talk about being Kurt in court. That's right. We're talking about Strange New Worlds, Season 2, Episode 2. Ad Astra per Aspera welcome everybody to Trek in time where we're watching every episode of star Trek in chronological order, according to star date. We're also taking a look at what our world was like at the time of original broadcast. So we're currently talking about, well, just last year, 2023, this is the closest we've come to talking about a show in order in our contemporary time, like yeah. We're going to have to go very fast if we're going to try and get there where we're like. And in this week's episode, like, we're never going to get there probably. But (laughs) for right now, this is the closest we've come. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me, as always, is my brother, Matt. He's that Matt of Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great.
1: And one of the reasons why, Sean, is... As people listen to this, I'm on vacation. <laughs> I'm very, I'm very excited about being on vacation.
0: <laughs> yes. Right it's, now it's been six,
1: it's been six years, Sean. I haven't taken a vacation in six years.
0: <laughs> That's weird. Did something happen during the 2020, 2021 22 zone that kept you from traveling? Mm. We may never know. Mm. That's right. Matt is like Mayor Quimby from The Simpsons. He's actually standing in front of a fake backdrop. He's currently standing on a beach where somebody with a steel drum is about to walk by in the background playing it. (laughs) As always, we like to start the episode by taking a look at the mailbag and seeing what all of you have had to say about our previous episodes. So Matt, what did you find for us today?
1: On the previous episode, which was 132, The Broken Circle, had a couple of, uh, comments about what the title of today's episode means. Uh, mm-hmm. One from AJ Chan, Ad Astra per Aspera, the movie Ad Astra, but sans Brad Pitt. PaleGo69 wrote, Ad Astra per Aspera, to the stars with asparagus? Is that why rockets look that way?
0: hmm Yes. The answer um, is yes. Fun- yeah.
1: <laughs> it smells when you pee. That's right. And Palgo 69 also wrote, this episode was a fun ride with some backstory, but overall, it felt flat. It fell flat for me. Also, I have so many questions about the serum. For starters, how does it help human bones survive the impact into a Klingon forehead? <laughs> Excited for the next episode. And Pale Ghost, I actually was thinking the same exact thing when I was watching the fight scene. And it's like they're punching stuff. And then later, as the serum wa- wears off and they punch something, and they actually go, ouch. It's yeah. like, wait, how how would that make their fists like take more punishment. I don't, I don't understand. Gotta let it wash over you a little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know about that. I think that I could conceive of a sci-fi trope, which would be an injection, which allows your body to repair at a faster rate and accelerate your muscle use and strength, like effectively make your body function in a way that smaller biological organisms do. Like you think of like an ant can lift a greater percentage of its own body weight in comparison to a human. What if there was a way of like magnifying what your body's capable of, including healing and dealing with the kind of impact damage that you're seeing in that it's a super serum. It's a super soldier serum, which is a harder phrase to say than you would like it to be. But anyway, <laughs> um. Okay, so the other one
1: was from uh, Happy Flappy Farm. I love Pelia, but I can't see her and not think of the Princess Bride. She was fun in that too. Sorry you don't like her style, Matt. I actually do like her style. I love her in the Princess Bride. It's just her in this just feels kind of jarring with how everybody else is. And then you have her just being her. It's a a little, kind of for me, just a little off-putting. But I Mm. do like her. Then there was way outs. One, two, three wrote one child of Sarek started a war. The other stole the ship and both kind of walked away. Must be nice being the children of the most senior ambassador in Starfleet. Yeah. (laughs) And then also noted, I love Pelia. Don't want to spoil future episodes, but I love her. Mm -hmm. And I, as much as her performance rubs me the wrong way, there is cool stuff about her character coming up. And no spoilers because Sean has not seen it yet. So
0: that's right. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for keeping it spoiler free. That noise you hear in the background, of course, is the re alert, which means that it's time for Matt to buckle up and tackle the Wikipedia description. Matt, good luck. All right. Pike recruits Illyrian civil rights
1: attorney Nira Katul as defense counsel for number one. The prosecution, led by Pike's girlfriend, Captain Mary Battelle, easily builds a case that Number 1 violated Starfleet's anti-genetic modification laws by hiding her identity as a genetically modified Illyrian. Katul argues that the law is unjust and inconsistently applied, and points out that Admiral April has violated the Prime Directive when he believed it was the right thing to do. La'an, a descendant of the genetically modified warlord Khan noonien Singh, investigates how Starfleet learned of Number 1's status, worried that the information was taken from her own personal logs. Number One testifies about the oppression and the marginalization Illyrians faced in her childhood, explains that she joined Starfleet because she believed it celebrated diversity, and reveals that she provided her own genetic status to Starfleet once it was known to the crew. Katul argues that Number One can be construed to have been seeking asylum when she joined Starfleet. The judges accept this interpretation and acquit
0: Number One. Episode Number Two, directed by Valerie Weiss, written by Dana Horgan. Broadcast originally on June 22nd, 2023. Cast includes Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, Christina Chong, Melissa Navia, Rebecca Romaine, Jess Bush, Celia Rose Gooding, Babzolus Mokun, with guest stars Yatide Badaki as Nira Katul, Adrian Holmes as Robert April, and Melanie Scarafano as Marie Battelle. What was the world like on June 22nd, 2023 when this originally broadcast? Well, Matt, I don't need to tell you, Morgan Whalen was still booming out of your boom box. That's right. Last night was downloaded 31 million times. I will never do anything in my life 31 million times. And in theaters, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse earned $19 million to reclaim the number one spot in its fourth weekend of release. This is the first time since the Super Mario Brothers movie that a film had reclaimed the box office in its fourth week and on television, little show called bluey was the most watched program. The second ranked most watched streaming program on television. This is a Disney plus show, which is originally from Australia. It was commissioned by Australian and BBC networks to, uh, be a show for children, showing interactions in a family dynamic between the parents and the kids. And I don't have children who are young enough to want to watch this, but I do have family members who are young enough to want to watch this. So I have seen episodes and I have to say this show is arguably more for the parents to teach parents how to be good parents than it is for kids. The show focuses almost entirely on what are the parents doing to support their children to make sure their children feel safe?
1: I Sean. Sean. Yes. i don't have kids but i've heard so many people say that about this show i was like i gotta check it out so i watched a couple episodes it is charming as all get out yes yes this is for the parents this is not yes. for the kids entertaining for the kids but it is kind of a uh, teaching show for hey um maybe you want to do this with your kids because it's a really great way to support their imagination maybe <laughs> it will help build their self-esteem it's like yeah. this is a fantastic show it's teaching yeah. the kids and the parents
0: And in the news, the New York times had the following stories on its front page. The federal trade commission was accusing Amazon of tricking users into subscribing for prime. There was an article analyzing whether inflation, which was reaching decades long peaks was actually over and not quite yet. And we're still feeling the impacts of that today. There was also an article about affirmative action and how it had impacted people's lives as affirmative action has become a hotly contested issue in debate and in court cases, and in some cases is being rolled back. On now to our discussion of ad aspera per astra. Did I get that right? I have no idea. Our discussion is going to revolve around, well, it's effectively like a law and order case. It is a what I thought was a tightly wound courtroom drama that while being focused on number one is impacting everybody on the crew. Everybody in support of number one is looking for ways to give her aid in this moment. We're given scenes of Pike looking like he can't even stay in the room. He's so upset about what is going on. We see uh, La'an Nunyan Singh begin her own investigation. And we see the dynamic between number one and her attorney, who there is clearly tension between the two of them at the beginning. We are not let in until literally testimony in the courtroom about what it is that has driven this wedge between two people who are clearly old friends, and we don't understand what the problem is until we find out that it is Una Chin Riley and her family were able to pass as non-modified Illyrians. And so they went into the non-modified lifestyle, leaving behind people like Katul, whose family could not, for whatever reason, pass in the same way. So it is a story of effectively a metaphor for racial divisiveness or any kind of labeling of othering a group whether it be, you could see this as a metaphor for gender identity, for sexuality, for race, immigration, for immigration, for religious, uh, strife. It, it applies itself to any of that. And I found myself really enjoying the courtroom drama aspects of it. What did you, what did you think about that side of the storytelling? Oh, I loved it.
1: Um, some won't be a shock to Sean, but one of my favorite episodes of all Star Trek is Star Trek Next Generation's The Measure of a Man, where data is put on trial because mm-hmm. Starfleet owns him and Picard ends up being his advocate, arguing, you know, he is a sentient life form. He has his own free will. We don't own him. That is probably one of my favorite episodes of all time. Um in fact, I wrote my master's thesis on that episode. <laughs> That's how much of a geek I am. Uh, but this, while this episode doesn't quite hit that height for me, it still scratched that itch. It was right in that wheelhouse of, this is why I love Star Trek, dealing with kind of weighty issues. Um, and so the, the courtroom aspect of the structure, I thought was the perfect way to explore this exact thing. And also the fact that they were hitting on the, just because it's a law doesn't mean it's moral or it doesn't mean it's ethically right it's like i I love that whole aspect of the courtroom drama the law and orderness of this didn't bother me at all i just ate it up it was great
0: yeah i found myself flashing back not to that episode it's interesting that you that you brought that one up it hadn't occurred to me the one that i kept flashing back to is the episode of the original series called court martial in which kirk is put on trial and in that episode is the character Samuel Cogley, who is played by Elijah Cook Jr., uh, character actor from the '60s, who plays his attorney. And I found myself like really thinking, like, are they going to pull somebody into a scene and refer to him by that name? Like, are we going to get a little bit of of uh, a reference to that character? And I was hoping for it, but maybe that's too deep a cut because we did not get it. But the appearance of this episode, the way it all presents the dress uniforms of the officers, the formalities of the ringing of the little bell, those are pulled right from the court martial episode. And I found myself really resonating with that and how it was tying a thread to the original series. Once again, a successful linkage to the original series. So moving from the courtroom setting, and I agree with you, a courtroom setting where you have the opportunity to in a dry and arguably dispassionate language, talk about the conflict and tension in the law between the law morality ethics is a perfect it's a courtroom drama exists and courtroom drama has existed for a long time in theater. Um, It is a crucible for drama. It is the perfect Mm -hmm. environment in which you can have two people brought forward to boldly state what they believe and show the conflict between them. This episode does it on two levels. You have the surface level, which is the courtroom itself and the drama there. I like the subtlety of the effectively the, the JAG officer, the judge, I got advocate general who is a Vulcan shown in scenes silent through a majority of the episode. Yeah, he barely speaks. And he is driving this case through his associate, who is Captain Patel, who is Pike's on and off again relationship. And he is clearly the power behind this Mo- this movement to undo Unichin Riley. And we are given a hint of what it's fully about leading to Captain Pike. It starts to become evident that he is looking past Unichin Riley, and he is looking toward Captain Pike as a potential threat by whatever logical analysis he's gotten to it. The more subtle storyline The one that's underneath that is about conflict between friends and conflicts that run so deep that you don't see them. You can only read them through the tea leaves. We see that between number one and her attorney, as we see the, the dynamic there, uh, constantly refer to, are we going to talk about it? No, we're not going to. And then it turns out to be the heart of the defense case. We also see it in Laan, who is trying to do an investigation to figure out where did the leak come from that let Starfleet know that number one was Illyrian, and she is fearful that it was her own personal logs that were somehow obtained that caused this leak. We also see it demonstrated as kind of the key, and I and I. Hat tip to this show. This show does a remarkable job of having a moment during the beginning, the first third of the show where the writer kind of sneakily whispers to the audience, here's the key to unlock this story. We're given a scene in which two Vulcans are talking and we are told, (laughs) yeah, you on the surface might think this is a dry, dispassionate moment, but in reality there is hot blooded turmoil rolling underneath that is effectively the metaphor for the entire episode. Courtrooms may look like and behave as if they are dry, dispassionate and objective. But the reality is that underneath the surface, there's strong motions and emotions underneath the surface that are driving all of this, both from the prosecution and from the defense, somebody who's defending themselves, looking for any means of escape, Is going to be the obvious place of emotion, but we discount the fact that driving prosecution can also be equally strongly held emotions. So we have a process in a courtroom setting, which is to straighten the tie and present everything as if this is just the facts. But in reality, it's never just the facts. It is pulling all these undercurrents with it and bringing them right to the surface to talk about them in ways that we normally don't. So we're seeing it again and again and again. What did you think? And I've referenced now La'an in her pursuit. I've referenced Mm -hmm. the relationship between Unchin Riley and her lawyer. And I've referenced the simple key, which was the scene between Spock and the JAG officer. Which, if any of these three, do you want to visit and talk about a little bit? all of them. Um,
1: I'd want to start with La'an because one of the things about La'an, her drive to find, am I the person that got her caught in this pickle? Um, there was a scene on the bridge with her and Yura where she is trying to get Yehura to basically scan through all the personal logs to find out if anybody leaked this to see if it was her or not. And what I loved about this scene is like what you just brought up conflict between friends are yep. two friends and Yohura, a junior officer, stands up to her and says, I'm not going to do that. This is a legal order. And if I do it, it's going to come back and haunt you. And I love that Yura makes this very logic, passionate plea saying, this is not going to help Una. This is going to hurt Una if we do yes. this. We have to follow the rules. I, I love that she made this very impassioned plea about why it's important to follow the rules. And that's the whole point of the entire episode. When to bend them, when to break them, when to follow them. And Yuhura makes the perfect argument
0: for why this case is where you follow the rules. And I thought Can I jump thing. onto that real quick? Yeah. This episode is also about when to forgive. Yes. And that scene also is demonstrating that because when Yuhura says to La'an... I know you're driven by the fact that she is your mentor. You are mine. Yes. And the unspoken in all of that is Laan is saying she was my mentor, but I felt hurt and betrayed by something she did, but I forgave her. And now I work to defend her and you in this moment is saying you are doing something I don't respect or agree with, and yet I am willing to forgive you by saying to you no and you should stop it is yep. like mm-hmm. the construction of this episode from top to bottom i found myself as i was watching it like there's not a loose screw anywhere it's it is, it is so perfectly, perfectly tightened it is so perfectly rendered i found myself absolutely dumbfounded by how how tight it was so to move to the sequence which was there for obvious human humor relief Uh, this is a, the Vulcans, a passionate episode. So we end up with a scene in which the Vulcan conversation between Spock and the JAG officer is intended for comedic relief. And we get, we get the, the pilot of the enterprise mockingly providing dialogue for the two Vulcans who are sitting at a table at a little bit of a distance. And she is clearly like Vulcan's gonna Vulcan. So they're just good buddy buddies with their everything is logical and everything works together and we're all friends because we like logic. And she is mocking them from that perspective, clearly thinking that Spock's relationship to various members of the crew is overridden by a logic. There is a kind of McCoy like foil in her character, which I think is. Mm -hmm necessary to the show you need to have a family unit needs to still have space for disagreement in order for there to be drama uh, so if everybody aboard the enterprise was all immediately like we all completely understand each other and always agree it would be like oh well, that's kind of boring um so we're given that moment and <laughs> bab's all his mo Koon, once again the heart of the, the hero of the show. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's just like, he's the beating heart of the crew. He is, he's the one who can stand there and say like, I can be the one who kind of understands the undercurrents of everybody else in the room. And I can kind of patiently stand in the background and teach all of you one at a time, what it means to love and understand one another. I love him. And he says, oh you got to learn to read Vulcans because the two of them hate, hate each other <laughs> yeah. it b- is the best part about the entire yeah. scene though Sean of course the comic
1: relief when spot comes over and just says I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you, sorry you had, I had to, to witness that, that. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then walks away and the two of them are just dying with laughter at the table because it was like you couldn't tell but I do I do love I, I love the doctor so much because yeah. he is so wise. He is, he drops those moments where he is kind of like takes somebody under his wing and is like, no, actually it's kind of this. I, I love the way he just laid it out there. And it was fun to see this sarcastic fake dialogue, which in itself was amusing. And then to continue that back and forth with the doctor describing what he was saying. Yeah. And it it's like it's like the power of montage, how you can take a picture of a woman crying and then you you put it next to a a baby and it looks like she's happy for this baby and you could take that same picture of the woman crying and put it next to a house on fire and it looks like now she's horrified but it's the same exact shot so it's like to me that this was kind of like the power of montage of like where it's like you're you're seeing it through the the pilot's eyes of this just mocking it and then it's the same conversation through the doctor's eyes and you start to kind of see there does seem to be kind of like a little bit of a tension between the two of them. So I thought it was really interesting the way they did. They played with that too. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: I also want to move now to the places where the show doesn't strip away the honorable nature of the individuals, but belies things beneath the surface that kind of hint at the imperfection of humanity and I'm talking mainly about the presentation of Admiral April and his testimony in which he talks glowingly about Una Chin Riley, about how proud he was to be her sponsor, about what it meant to him to do all of that. And then when questioned about whether he would do any of that, if it were known to him, what she was and he, supports the structures of the rule of law while then being painted as hypocritical in being able to break what is referred to for only the second time in the series as the prime directive, the prime directive, the number one rule, everybody in Starfleet is supposed to obey. And a number of instances in which now Admiral April broke that rule in the name of what was considered the greater good are laid out in front of us and we are presented with a moment in which we are supposed to question whether this heroic honorable man is in fact prejudiced and is the law a prejudicial law so matt how did you feel about april going into the scene how did you feel about him leaving the scene And how did you feel about this moment being kind of the magnifying glass on the rule itself to say this restriction is prejudicial
1: this is why i love star trek sean because i didn't feel differently about him i didn't feel he didn't feel like lesser of a man or admiral or leader to me than he did going in i like his character and i still liked his character coming out of this it's all about um, all of this is about a matter of perspective and so from his perspective he was seeing that rule and understanding its place of why it was there and he wouldn't have broken it um which is crystal clear and then also why he bent the first (laughs) the, the most precious rule of starfleet why he bent that rule uh the prime directive it's you can just from the descriptions of what happened on those planets you can understand why he did it And you can understand that at times you have to bend that rule. And we know that from Kirk. We know that from Picard. We know that from every (laughs) Star Trek show that it's got to be situational. Um, So it's kind of like, what's the greater good? And it's all a matter of perspective. And so because of that, you can't fault him for standing by the rule against Illyrians and modifications the way he did, which is part of the reason why I didn't fault him because it's, it's a... It's a fault in the system. It's a fault in the way things are set up. Um, so with more time and experience, his position on that would probably change. But again, he's been a good Starfleet officer and following the, ro- the rules, following the law, and he understands where it should happen and when it shouldn't happen. So it's, it's it, for me, I thought the case against him was pretty damning. Like when they yeah. kind of just, she just drew out the whole point of why is it okay to bend this rule, but not this. And you could make a very clear distinction that it should be bent in her case so why aren't you bending it um it was a very i thought that was a really well done conversation because it it made me as a viewer i'm sure you you might feel the same way Mm -hmm. question things without disliking him
0: yeah it does an interesting job of putting in front of you as a viewer the reality that laws are meant to be lived Yes. And that that is lost in the black and whiteness of, oh, you're Illyrian out. There's, there's a, a thing about it that is to say, if you're Illyrian out, what is the fairness of that? What is the role of that? What is the purpose of that? And that is the digging into it because an unlived law like we have rules on the law books to this day like it's illegal to own a pig in manhattan like things like that um when does that come up when does like when does a rule that is archaic stop being a law when stop when it stops being applied like the simplicity of if nobody brings you to court for that thing then what is it doing laws about living and So I think that this does a great job of demonstrating not only how is, is being questioned from an ethical perspective, but from a living perspective, what is an individual like Unichron Riley supposed to do when the law as applied destroyed her family's experiences destroyed the safety of her people. It turned it into a ghetto situation.
1: Well, when you're hearing the the Admiral talk about it at the moment in this episode, at the moment in the episode that that happened the all the prime directive things that he bent, he was saving thousands of people, maybe even millions of people in doing yeah. what he was doing. Very clear thing. And the reason he said, even knowing how good she is today, I wouldn't have changed my mind then is because it's a single person. She, she's a person. She lied she lied. She did a bad thing. She lied. She hid something that wasn't supposed to be hidden. And so there you go. It's, it's pretty straightforward. It's not about saving millions. It's just this one person lied to me. And that's enough to like write her off. But later in the episode, when the arguments start coming up about how many lives has she saved because she was in Starfleet and then the tree that branches out from that, uh, like uh, La'an, she wouldn't have been in starfleet if it wasn't for una and how many lives did has laon saved and so you start to get this branching tree coming out like the fact she's in starfleet has probably saved tens of thousands if not millions of lives so then you could kind of go back to the admiral again if you wanted to and say do you still stand by that line of thinking because by bending the rules for her you actually saved potentially tens of thousands of people maybe even millions so it's it's one of those matter of perspective I was bringing up before. So at that moment in the episode, it seemed cut and dry to him, but it's like over the course of it, you could see he might have had a change of heart at some point when the arguments continued.
0: Yeah. I also want to visit the finale of the episode in the, the mode of the legal argument being made <laughs> is not to defend Una Chin Riley. She is what she is. It is not Mm -hmm. to dissolve the law in the form of, oh, we've changed our minds and we're removing this law from the books ding. It is painting the argument of this was an asylum seeker that was provided refuge. Mm -hmm. And I love that culmination of that argument because it does a number of things. It's very to kill a mockingbird, you know, the legal drama, About systemic racism, effectively, and the case is lost. But the case is won in the hearts of the audience because the realities of systemic racism are put fully in front of everybody. That is what is presented. So in this case, within the narrative, you have a lawyer making the argument that this was a case of an asylum seeker. This was the case of an Illyrian being prevent given asylum to prevent harm to her from those who would do her harm. And by winning the case, she's now put on the map that Illyrians are a persecuted group. And that's an important first step to undoing the law that she is railing against. So she doesn't go into the courtroom to defeat the law. She goes into the courtroom to present an argument about the group that is impacted by the law. And I think that that is a great turning point for the episode.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that was the part that I also enjoyed about the lawyers storyline is that in the beginning, the first half, it looks like she's got an ax to grind Mm -hmm. and she's not gonna really defend una as una. She's trying to go after the system. And it turns out she actually was shaping things to actually protect una but she had to lay the foundation to be able to build on top of and so i did. i did love how at the end there was that turning point that twist with how she questioned una why she brought una up on the stand when originally she wasn't going to do it and how she got una to admit all of these things that were required for the starfleet rules to allow for asylum it was like a really nice fun reveal for us as a viewer and it was also nice to see it that kind of i don't know she's playing like she's playing chess when me as a viewer i was playing checkers as she's kind of like putting the whole thing together it was fun to watch that unfold
0: yeah i also appreciated that as that was happening the camera at one point went to marie the captain who was the prosecuting attorney and she is smiling because she realizes before we, the audience member do, she knows where the argument is going. She sees oh, like, this is an asylum argument. So brilliant. Did, I'm curious if you picked up on this or if it's just me reading reading into it wrong,
1: the Vulcan JAG officer, mm-hmm. he almost looked like he had a Vulcan smirk on his face during mm-hmm. that sequence too, because they showed him several times. Yeah. And the look on his face, the way I interpreted it was, he almost looked like, oh,
0: well yeah. done
1: it was almost yeah. like this look on his face of like bravo nicely done it i agree kind of like i, I admiration. saw that too yeah.
0: yeah it was like it was him in that moment of you've created a logical argument that i cannot undo and Correct. he appreciated the beauty of the logical argument while not wanting the conclusion that would come out of it so it was a nice moment in that regard as well So Matt, before we move on, is there anything else about this episode that you wanted to talk about? Anything else that you thought stood out to you?
1: No, I, I, for me, for strange new worlds, I thought this was an extremely well-written show. It was a very enjoyable one. I like this kind of drama, the courtroom drama. I enjoyed it. So for me, top to bottom, I just enjoyed this one.
0: And do you have anything you wanted to share with our viewers and listeners before we head off? What do you have coming up on your main channel?
1: Oh, there's a bunch of stuff. I have a video coming up on, of all things, Sean, a water heater. Mm. <laughs> so strap yourself in for that one. But also I have videos Talk about- about emerging tech. Oh, yeah. Heat pump water heaters. Um, it's kind of just simple genius of how they work. Uh, but then I have a video coming, uh, exploring where are all the Tesla solar roofs that are coming up? Because like that stuff, that product was shown five, six years ago and aren't many houses out there with it. And so I actually have a friend of the show that has it. So I visited his home and I'm doing a comparison between my house, why I did what I did, why he did what he did. And we kind of, kind of compare the two together. It's kind of a fun one. So stay tuned for those.
0: Sounds good. So next time we're going to be talking about season two, episode three tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, let us know in the comments, what you think this episode will be about wrong answers only. And as for me, if you're interested in my work, my writing, uh, check out seanferrell.com. You can also look for my books, wherever your books are sold. My books are available everywhere. That includes everything from bookstores to your local library. And thank you so much for your interest in finding out more about it. If you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click on the, become a supporter button. It allows you to throw some coins at our heads and then we get down to the business of making the show. It also automatically makes you an Ensign, which means you are subscribed to our spinoff show, Out of Time, in which we talk about things that don't fit within the confines of this program. So we talk about other sci-fi, fantasy, horror, whatever it is that's catching our eye. All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for taking the time to watch or listen, and we'll talk to you next time.